morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. If you got an automotive question or comment or whatever it might be, you give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And right now is the perfect time to call. There you go. Don't wait till the end of the show because I know like last week we had about three calls on hold when we got out and just couldn't get to them. Even if you call like a minute or so before, because it takes about a minute to get out and sure. you know close everything up and what have you, all the legalese that we got to go through. <laughs> but yeah, call now early in the show, and that way we can get you an answer and yep. you won't get cut off. Won't get, get you a very thorough answer. Yeah, you won't get the bums rush. <laughs> or the boot. <laughs> the boot. Boom. Yeah, we were talking last week. I think we fairly well covered the brake service and uh-huh. all on a car. And I had several emails this week about folks that I had no idea it was that much involved in it. Right. It seems real simple, but it's got a lot of technicalities to it to, to get it done correctly. It really does. And I don't know that there's any job that we redo more than brakes. Brake service. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get just tons and tons and tons of folks who come in. They've had the brakes done somewhere or they've tried to do them. Themselves, and now they've got a noise or a shake or, you know, some kind of pedal on the floor whatever and they just can't resolve it and it's really not all that difficult if you follow the basic sure stuff that we had laid out last week and i want to talk a little bit more about that just a couple things we didn't get to cover but all uh, right let's go to our phone lines we've got alan online good morning alan good morning lewis Uh, i've got a quick question for y'all i've got a 2006 honda pilot Mm -hmm. and uh started whenever i'm backing up and now going forward i'm hearing a creaking in my front left tire as i turn the wheel could be several things yeah have you tried sitting still and turning the wheel and see if it's there or is it only when the vehicle's rolling i think it's only when it's rolling i'm sitting in it now and turning it now i don't hear it okay okay Okay. Uh, i heard it a little bit well, yeah, it's, it's you, there. It's still it's there. there. Okay, still yeah. There. See, that's yep. that's going to make a major difference because it's going to eliminate a lot of possibilities if it only does it when it rolls as opposed to doing it. If it's doing it when it's sitting still, the first thing that I would think would be the strut bearing because they've had some trouble with those. It's a little bearing on top of the strut between the body and the spring, and those can get dry, and they'll make a creaking noise like that. Not really harmful to the car, just kind of more of an annoyance than anything else. And one way you might be able to isolate that, Alan, if you get someone to, and turn the wheel, reach in through the wheel well over the top of the tire and just lay right. a couple of fingers on that spring and see if you can feel the same thing you're hearing. Because there'll be like a little vibration in the spring when it makes a squeak noise. Right. If, if you can feel that in that spring, then that is very likely going to be the problem is that upper strut bearing. And you have to drop the strut out, take it apart, and there's a little bearing up inside of there, and it can get dry because there's no lubrication to it other than what was put in when the car was new. And do yourself a great big favor. Go to Honda and get those bearings. Yeah. We have found that the aftermarkets just do not operate properly. Yeah, some people make an aftermarket bearing, and it just doesn't work. Sometimes they don't work. When you put them in, they're worse than the old ones were, right. and other times they'll last a little while and go out. But yeah, that is usually that problem. Now, that isn't the only thing, obviously, anything that's turning. But to isolate anything else, what you would do is you need to have a lift where you can lift the car on the wheels. Kind uh, of a drive-on lift. A drive-on lift. We use a front-end lift, like a front alignment machine. Then you can get under there and put your fingers on each and every component as you turn the wheel. Because when there's a noise, there's also going to be a vibration. And you'll be able right. to feel it. And, you know, the tie rods can make that kind of a noise, inner or, or outer. The lower ball joint can make that noise, but I got to say, on that vehicle, the most common is the upper strut bearing. 
Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. All, All right. right. Man. I, I explained it. I'll give you a holler. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, fellas. I discovered your podcast about a month ago. Oh, great. I, I drive a little over an hour generally each way every day and got tired of pushing buttons on the radio. So <laughs> Good deal. I've got a couple of three deals I want to talk about with a 2011 Toyota Sequoia. Okay. Yesterday, I went to the Toyota dealership and bought eight new plugs put in it. Mm-hmm. And it is extremely frustrating how hard it is to work on these cars today. Just doing simple maintenance. Yeah, and, and really that one. That was one of the easiest yeah. ones. <laughs> I was just fixing to say. Yeah, that is by this far is, one of the easier ones. Yeah, this is a large vehicle, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. I had to have. You can't go change plugs with a forty-nine dollar socket set. From oh no, no, no. <laughs> anyway, got all the plugs changed, cranked it up, and the check engine light and the VSC lights flashing, okay. and the and that's flashing. Mm-hmm. Shut it off, looked at everything, and had a cool wire I forgot to plug up. Yep. Plugged it up. Rode down the road four or five miles, come back, still on. Got up this morning, took it to the Toyota dealership, still on. Got there, shut it off, told them that I needed to have it have the code checked. They cranked it up, and it's gone. So yeah. <laughs> I yeah. have a feeling. Well, that's a misfire gone. code. If the light is flashing, exactly. it's a misfire, and a misfire code will clear if it doesn't occur in three drive cycles. That's, I've listened to I listened to a podcast to go. Well, mm-hmm. it was probably set off saying it was right. The, and the traction control. Well, VSC sees a code active in the power module, so it's going to kick the VSC because it can't communicate when it has an active code. That's a Toyota kind of issue. Yeah. Most of the other manufacturers yeah. don't turn that light on, but for some reason, Toyota is set up the software to where when the check engine light comes on, the VSC light also comes right. On. It can't communicate, so it throws both lights and. Those codes, like I said, you have one code, one trip code, two trip code, three trip codes. That is generally, if it doesn't see the problem occur again within three cycles, then it'll turn the light off. Okay. And it'll move it to history. It'll still be in there, but right. it'll be in history. Now, they can clear it out now, and once they clear it, the readiness test will complete, and then it will be gone after that. Okay. It may take a couple of days for the readiness test to recomplete. Mm-hmm. Once they clear the code, it also, like Lewis was saying, it clears the readiness test, and then the vehicle has to go through a strategy to relearn all those readiness tests and you can't get a state inspection without those tests being passed yeah you won't know what's happening but it just does it it does it by itself got it okay well after it cleared you know after it went off on the dash i was a lot more comfortable and Mm -hmm. figured i'd listen to y'all enough to know it's probably something like that so Mm -hmm. the next thing is two of three issues the first plug i took out i don't know how the cylinders are numbered but i started with the the left front Mm -hmm. and i took that plug out and there was just a little bit of oil on the socket, on the spark plug socket. Okay. Okay, on the outside of the threads? No, 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 on the spark on, plug on the socket, socket inside the, the tube. Yeah, but I mean, you talk about all on the outside of the spark, on the ceramic part of the plug, not the tip. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So, and then I got to what I would call cylinder number six mm-hmm. on the right side. There was a good bit of mm-hmm. oil in there. So is that the tube seal? Yeah, looking? it is. There's a seal, like a, almost looks like a little wheel bearing seal that goes around so, those spark plug tubes. Is that on the top of the valve cover? Uh, valve cover? Yeah, it's inside the valve cover itself. When you, when you take the valve cover off, you'll see the, the ring, that, the seal that goes around the outside, and right. you'll also see yeah. the, the four rings on the inside. Now, some of those have a ear across them. They are changeable. You just have to bend the ears out, change the seals, bend the ears back down. Now, 
That being said, there's also some half-moon seals in the back of the head. Yeah, cam seals. They do leak. And while you're there, it doesn't take a little extra effort to take those out, put a little, clean them up, put a little RTV on them, and put them back when you put the valve cover back. You now, talk like I'm going to take all these <laughs> and off just to get to the valve cover. <laughs> it's a job. It is. And again, job. that is one of the easier ones. If it was like the 3.5, and you got to take the intake manifold yeah. and everything off just to get to them. About a four, about a four oh, hour job for a train mechanic. So with what the right are we tools. talking about with this 5.7? Hour and a half. Uh, hour and a half, two hours. It's, yeah. not, it's not a big deal for somebody who knows what they're doing. Maybe right. a little bit longer than that, but not as bad as the V6s that are transverse mounted where the intake manifold lays over the top of it. And the good thing about it, you don't have to te- take the spark plugs back out to do that job. Right. So what you've done already, you haven't redone. Yeah. You know, we won't yeah, have to redo any of it. Right. right. Okay. All right. Third thing. I got it's, This thing's got 98,000 miles on mm-hmm. it, and I want to change the coolant. So I went and got three jugs of coolant okay and i'm gonna change the upper and lower radiator hose and the thermostat is that uh what year model is it toaster it's a 2011 man i doubt very seriously those hoses are gonna be damaged toyota hoses will generally last 15 years with no problem really oh Oh, absolutely and the problem is the ones you buy unless you go back to the toyota dealer and buy them they're probably not as good as the ones you're taking off okay okay same thing with the coolant did you buy that from a toyota dealer yeah it's it's toyota yeah the premix Think. All right. What about any gotchas on that deal? Is it? Do I need to. Is there a bleed screw, or do I just drain it and fill it up? Not no, that it, I remember. It's got, a, got a surge tank on that one, so it's going to self bleed. Now, what you do have to do is, after you get it replaced, fill it up, let it sit there and warm completely up with the heater on high to where it's going and through the, the heater cap, core and everything. Mm-hmm. And the cap off. Well, just leave the cap on. Let it get completely warmed up. Then cut it off. You can take the cap off. You want let it cool back down completely, or just or just leave the cap on. Let it heat and cool through a couple of cycles and go back and recheck it. Because what it's going to do, as the air comes out, it's going to take more fluid in. So you may have to let it warm completely up and cool back down two or three times. It'll bleed itself, and you have so to add fluid I, between. Just keep topping it off. Till yeah, it, you don't have to take the cap off. Do I fill the radiator up and yes. the surge tank? Yes. Fill the radiator first. Make sure you get it good and full. Like Lewis said, run it through the cycles, and then let it cool all the way back down to where you can hold your hand on the cap. When you can hold your hand on the cap, it's safe to take off. Take right. it off, top it off again, crank it up, bring it up to temp, let it cool all the way back down, the same process. Do that two or three times. Once it quits taking cooling into the radiator, then you can top off the surge tank. The surge tank. So leave it empty. Well, fill the radiator up. No, no, fill no. It, no, fill no. it about half full. Fill it to where the okay. coal mark, yeah. up to the coal okay. mark, because it's going to expand as the coolant expands and so go into there and go come back when out. It, yeah, when it cools off, it'll pull coolant back out of that tank mm-hmm. and help top okay. it off. We've got a funnel that we can stick in the top of that radiator. It's a neat little deal. You can put that in there, and when you fill it up, you've got a high point. Yeah. So the air kind of bubbles up through the funnel. But right. We'll, we'll finish Grab the question. It it. Yeah, if you can hold on. i got to take a little break right now, but I'll get right back okay. to you. Hold on through the break, and we'll get right back to you. And John, <laughs> back to you as well. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? 
What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And just before the break, we were talking to Terry. He's doing some maintenance on his Sequoia. What was the third question, Terry? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Okay. It was the coolant. Okay. Getting the coolant in and without, you know, a blader screw or mm -hmm. whatever. If there was a blader screw, right. or any gotchas on replacing the coolant. Mm -hmm. I got more questions, but we'll call in later for that. I got, I'm a, I got all Toyotas in the driveway. I got that Sequoia and I got a 2014 Tundra. And oh, I love Good deal. I'm, Good deal. Where are you calling from, Terry? I live in a little town outside of Noonan called Sonoya. Okay. Sonoya, Georgia. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, we appreciate you calling. All right. I appreciate y'all's help. All right, Thank Terry. You. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. All right. We're going back to our phone lines. We got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning, gentlemen. Love your show. Appreciate Thank you. Uh, all that you do. My question is about a uh, 2011 Buick Enclave. Mm-hmm. We bought it new. I always changed oil. It just turned 100,000 miles. And I've always changed oil regular around 3,000. Uh, it runs fine, no issues. But uh, I changed the spark plugs, and I noticed some oil in spark plug well on the rear. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like yesterday, I was looking up a few things, and I read somewhere where you have to change the entire, replace the head in order to get that to stop. Is that correct, or is that just something I can change seals on? No, I think the valve cover gaskets is normally what we see with that. Uh, the oil is on the on the ceramic side of the spark plug, not on the tip. Yes, sir. Yeah, if it's on the outside, generally yeah. that's the valve cover gas. They might have called it a or cylinder head cover. That gets confused a lot. I know we get okay. customers coming, how much to change a head, and they've read cylinder head cover or something and they just didn't catch that last little part valve covers can be called cylinder head covers or oh, they got four or five different yeah names different names it's just different depends uh, on who you're talking to yeah different semantics <laughs> but uh same part but no it's a relatively big job but nothing i mean if you're very handy you could probably handle it roger that okay well thank you all right well thanks for calling man thank you take mm -hmm. care bye-bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want part of the automotive hour, if you got a leaking cylinder head gasket or whatever you oh, got. That's <laughs> it. And, you know, it's kind of confusing because you do have a cylinder head gasket, which uh -huh. is a whole different thing from a cylinder head cover gasket. Sure. And the semantics really can confuse a person who's not very familiar with it because there's a lot of terms that are similar, and there are terms that are misused even within the industry. There are. And... Even within the industry, there's a lot of misunderstanding. One of the biggest things where I see this almost continuously, in fact, I had a couple of emails this week on okay. this, and that's where Toyota, on some of their transmissions, calls the filter a screen. Right. And I'm sure that when they converted from Japanese to English, it just lost something in the translation. And I don't know what the difference in a screen and a filter truly is, but <laughs> I can tell you I've seen many, many, many of these, and it's a filter. Yeah. And it, it has it, to be replaced. 
Yeah, they'll say, oh, this is a lifetime screen. It doesn't uh-huh. have, No, no, no. It's a regular filter, just like they've always used. They just have a different name. And the same thing with the long-life fluid that they put in them. The WS is a synthetic-based long-life fluid. Toyota says it's good for 100,000 miles. And under ideal conditions, I guess it is. Personally, if I owned one of those vehicles, I would change it around fifty to sixty thousand. Right, that transmission is very expensive to replace or well, even rebuild. It's Four thousand dollars to change the transmission and a couple hundred to do a proper service. There you go. And it's the only thing you can do to protect it. So don't ever buy this guff about lifetime fluid or lifetime. Yeah, I don't. I don't sealed like transmissions is another thing because it doesn't have a dipstick. Does they not can, mean it's sealed. Right, they consider it sealed just for that reason. They, yeah. It's not sealed it. at all. It just right. doesn't have a dipstick any longer because it takes a specific, specific. <laughs> procedure to check the fluid level yes, on it. Yes, it does. And it's kind of like I told a lady a few weeks ago, she called with lifetime. I said, well, it's lifetime, all right. That's right. when it burns up, it's the end of the lifetime. <laughs> 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 I just don't want that to occur at 110,000 miles. I want that to be out about 400,000 exactly. miles somewhere. So you have to watch because there's a lot of people who call themselves giving advice, and we get that quite a bit. I'll get email from folks and i mm-hmm. say well i went to the dealership he said this requires a flush because it's a sealed transmission well absolutely it's, not nothing right. ever requires a flush in fact a flush is not even a recommended service method by right. most manufacturers and what they're saying is they don't want to go through the trouble of doing it properly they maybe don't have people trained well enough to do it properly so they're just gonna hook a little machine to it and run clean fluid through a dirty transmission through which, the through the cooler basically yeah, it does basically absolutely no good at all and, and can cause a lot of trouble so you have to watch, even though you're trying to do the right thing, it's one of those deals where you can get shot in the foot. Oh, yeah, just with your eyes wide to do open. The right yeah, thing. you're trying to do right, but if you go to the wrong people, and unfortunately, a lot of people just haven't kept up. Mm-hmm. Even a lot of the new car dealerships, I find, do just the most ridiculous things. We had a customer earlier last week, and we had done a pre-warranty expiration inspection. Well, I'm just tongue-tied this morning. (laughs) And we found a couple of fairly minor issues. Uh One was it had a minor leak at the oil pan. Right. And admittedly, it was not horrible, but it's only going to get worse in time. It is technically leaking. It is under warranty. The second is it had warp brake rotors. Uh Well, the first thing he told them, they were going to turn the rotors. Now, they warped at full thickness. Right. They warped all the way through the casting. You're going to turn them to make them thinner. It's just not going to work. In days gone by where a rotor weighed 40 pounds and it was 60,000 thicker than it needed to be and the bearing was integrated into it, that made some sense. Sure. Today, rotors are little thin, probably five, six-pound items that slip on, and they're maybe 10 to 15,000 above discard when they're brand new. If that. And they wear that much in one using. Yep. So to go in and turn those rotors... Will it alleviate the symptom long enough to get him out of warranty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will it come back with a vengeance worse yep. than it was, requiring him to spend his own money to fix it? Yeah. And, again, this is a new car dealership. Right. And the second thing they told him is, well, we cleaned the oil because we didn't see a leak, and we put some dye in it, and we'll check it. Now, wait a minute. If you didn't see a leak, why'd you clean it? Yeah. There wouldn't have been anything to clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you clean up? If, right. If there, was, just, if there was nothing there to clean, why'd you clean just it? Just tell me there was no leak or tell me. We cleaned it up, and we're going to give it back to you leaking. Uh-huh. Stuff like that goes on every single day. And, again, what they did, they cleaned it off, and they told him they put some dye in it. Whether they did, I don't know. But what they're going to do is wait until it's out of warranty and say, well, we don't see a leak. And then when it comes in, all changed. No, hey, you got to just leak. you got to yeah, fix. Yeah, now it's, a, now it's a paid service. Right. Because under warranty, these guys who are on commission get paid half the going rate to do this work. They yeah, don't want to do I, it anyway. I don't believe in that. I mean, yeah. that, that's just... 
Well, what warranty has done, it's gone from a assurance that the quality of the vehicle was there to a marketing tool where they used to brag about the warranty to get you to buy stuff, mm-hmm. all the way to now it's a for-profit division of the company. Right. And you've got a manager of the warranty division, and make no bones about it, this is not something you're getting for free. This was including the price of your car. Sure, you already paid for this. Yeah, a hefty tab was added to the price of that vehicle to cover the warranty costs. Right. It's in there. They got it. Now, the more money they spend out of that fund, the less money's left. Now, they've got a manager, uh, overall general manager of warranty divisions, who is trying to show a profit so sure. he doesn't lose his job. Sure. Well, the more he can cut these warranty claims, the more money's left in there. So if he starts showing a profit, then that looks really good for him. And everything right down through the organization, everybody's on commissions and incentives and all that. So everybody's trying to minimize it, none to the benefit of the customer. Right. So the thing is, you just have to watch the advice you're getting. There's all sorts of people offering advice. What I always say is when you get any kind of advice, be it medical advice, financial advice, whatever, try to take advice from folks who do not benefit by your decision. Correct. If I've got a stockbroker who is on commission, I'm not going to really put as much weight on his advice as I would a financial expert on the outside who is not on commission. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm not going to say one couldn't be bad and the other one be good or vice versa. However, this guy has way more reason to try to push me towards a certain product he's going to make more money on sure. than the other. And I've always felt that professionals should not accept any type of incentive for the advice they give. Mm-hmm be it a legal professional or a medical professional or whatever kind of professional, and more so an automotive professional, they shouldn't be getting rewarded for the advice they give. The reward they get is that they're charging the customer a fair price to give him professional advice. And that's just the way I've always felt it should be. Because anytime you see these things where someone makes more money by certain, then you end up with a what you got. Right, <laughs> right. You get the exact situation that you see so prevalent today because almost everything in the automotive business is incentives right. and spiffs and perks and all that kind of garbage, and you really take it to extreme. So much, much of the stuff that they are pushing on you is just because they're getting a spiff for doing it or exactly. some type of a little reward for doing it, which is not in your best interest or your best interest of the customer at all. Right. Hey, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And today we're talking about kind of things in general. We were right. finishing up on the topic of brakes that we talked about last week, but we're kind of 
jibber-jabbing about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us a call, and we'll be glad to help you out with anything you might need. In. That's right. A little information. I got an interesting email from a fella in India okay. this week, and he had a question about a car I've never heard of. Apparently, it's on the Indian subcontinent. I'm not sure who bills it. Okay. But he said he had a failure of the PCM, and he seemed fairly handy because he says it was on the idle circuit so he identified that much of it uh-huh. and he says from what he understands that is a common failure on that particular car and asks what would cause that and i wasn't familiar with the car we don't have any type of service data on it so i couldn't give him a specific but one thing that i do know that you always want to watch for anytime you see a pcm fail generally the circuit that is controlling is what causes the failure. Right. If you have a failure on an idle circuit, it is always going to be wise to replace or at least check if it has an idle servo on it, that servo, and those are generally fairly inexpensive. They are. Too hard to change As a general rule, I will not replace a PCM with a failure on an idle circuit unless I change that servo also. Right. Those servos, all it is is an electric motor that runs back and forth and opens a valve, and just like any electric motor, it can draw too many amps. And when it does, it burns up the PCM. Right. That's what happens with that most of the time. Now, if it has a throttle body with an electric motor on it, it may be a little different thing. You may have to do some testing on that because that is a more expensive proposition. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, PCMs do not just fail for the most part. Now, some do. A lot of Chrysler products had a lot of trouble with their PCMs failing. Right. And particularly like some of your Jeeps and all, they just go out and they start dying and they start flooding and doing all kinds of stuff like that. That's just an inherent problem in that unit. But when you start to see a failure, I always want to look a little further. The last thing you want to do is put a new one in there, have it last six months to a year, and then go out again. Or immediately get burned right back up. immediately again, even worse. But that's the case with with most things, and particularly most control-type things. Mm -hmm. For instance, when you see a temperature control panel burn out, Let's say it burns out on the fan circuit. Well, right. most of the time, that fan motor is drawing too much amperage, and that's what burned the circuit out. Now, sometimes they're controlled through a secondary circuit. In other words, they'll go through a speed controller, and the speed controller is controlled by the temperature control computer, and it'll burn the speed controller out right. because it just isolates it from the computer. The high amperage doesn't go through the ATC computer. It just goes through the speed controller. Right. It's just like a, an external relay that works a fan. Correct. In, in workings. Is a whole lot better because speed controller is generally less than a hundred dollars, and some of those temperature control oh, models eight or nine hundred dollars, depending on the application. Yeah, some fine GM is fairly reasonable on those. They're normally in the two to three hundred dollar range. New hmm. Ford is up in eight hundred dollar range, right? On, on a lot of those, and they're so bad about discontinuing them. I mean, you go in there with a Ford product six yeah. seven years old, and it's yeah, been discontinued. Yeah, we don't make that anymore. Yeah, they don't sell that anymore. So, fortunately, some of those can be rebuilt. Right. And you can go some. online and find rebuilt ones. And those seem to work pretty well. Whoever is rebuilding them looks like they're doing a pretty good job. I don't have anybody in specific that I use. Uh-huh. But I have used a few of them over the years where they've been discontinued. And I've used a couple of different companies. I had no trouble with any of them. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah, pull they, them out and send them, mail them off. Of course, you're without it till it comes back. But well, that's right. In that case. In some cases, what you can do is order the part, pay a core charge, and then go ahead and replace it. And when the you're through with yours, you send yours back and they Get refund the core charge back. Right. That way the vehicle's not down two or three weeks waiting on right. mail and most of repair. Them, most of them go pretty quick. A couple of days we can generally get one in and out. And you may have to pay a little extra shipping mm-hmm. to get that done depending on the company. But it is a viable way to go. 
with stuff like that. And and that being said, I mean, like you were saying earlier, a lot of things are starting to get discontinued. Mm-hmm. And I've got a feeling that there's going to be a lot of 2,000-pound bricks <laughs> sitting around, you know, without parts being available for them. Well, it's bad enough on the older stuff when they discontinue parts. But for the most part, a lot of the older stuff, you can do workarounds. Some cases, you could just eliminate a certain subsystem, just not, not have that anymore. And in other cases, there were just different workarounds you could do. Right. On the more current stuff, that is less and less a possibility. A great example of that, we had a Honda um, Honda Accord come in not too long ago, and the navigation system was down. Mm-hmm. The car wouldn't run. They had to tow it in. Wow. The navigation system, the PCM couldn't see the navigation system. So it shuts the whole shut the whole vehicle down. Yeah, and I've never really uh, subscribed to that theory of buying a navigation system in the car. Mm-hmm. Most things, I'm real, real big on getting the original equipment stuff. Right. That's one case where I'm just not. Because I've got a little Gorman brand uh, GPS right. in my car. I don't know. I paid maybe 100 bucks for it. It's a pretty nice one, color screen and all that. Does yeah. everything I want to do. Plug it in a cigarette lighter, put it up on the dash. You and get ready to change cars, you just unplug it, take unplug it out. It, yeah, I can right. put it in my truck, I can put it in my car, so it's very versatile. If it goes out and I throw it away, okay, I'm out of 100 bucks. Right. In fact, I'm not out of anything because I've had it for about five or six years. <laughs> we and, all got your money's worth. Yeah, I, I've even got a little lifetime update service where right. I just plug a USB card in, update it. Some of these ones that you get from Honda or Toyota or Whatever GM or Ford, be. you have to go back to them to buy the updates because right. your maps get obsolete. Well, it could be $100 or more just for the updates. So some of that stuff is just not cost-effective, and it's kind of like everything we talk about on the automotive hour. It's a matter of overall lowest cost. Sure. Many cases, that is going to be getting the factory-installed unit right. will be the overall lowest cost. Some cases, it's not. With navigation systems, that's one place where I just find it's a whole lot less expensive just to get an add-on unit, put it in there, because those are they're an expensive option to start with, extremely expensive to maintain sure. repair and i just don't find they're any better they don't do the job any better they don't get me from point a to point b any better well you get you're getting the same information off the handheld unit that you're getting off of that one for a whole lot less cost that's right and a whole lot less maintenance and worst case scenario if it totally fails you throw it out the window or wake up get another one <laughs> exactly <laughs> well i'd probably throw it in the garbage can but yeah. Yeah, hey, <laughs> when the garbage pins, can depends on what part of town you live in yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to get some calls on that one. Oh, I'm telling you. That's not going to go over like a sack of bricks. There you go. But, yeah, there are always instances where one thing is better. Sure. You know, it's just like when we always talk about aftermarket parts quite a bit. And certainly aftermarket parts are not as good as they should be in most cases. Right. A few exceptions where they are. But there are also exceptions like, for instance, I've got a 12-year-old car and I need a taillight. Somebody bucks into my taillight, breaks a little lens. Yep. Well, I go to Chevrolet and they want $375 for this tail light. And I go online and I can buy it for 40 bucks. Well, 375 on one side, 40 on the other side. My God, it's a piece of red plastic. And it, it takes two minutes to change. It takes two minutes to change. I'm going with the $40 part. Sure. Because I can change it three or four or five or 10 times and still be dollars ahead. Exactly. Let's say the original one lasts 15 years. This one only lasts five. Well, you got your money's. Yeah, yeah that's five years on an old car like that, maybe all I need. Right. So there are cases where a less expensive part is the proper choice yep. or less expensive anything. There are also many, many cases where that is not the case. You know, a prime example of that is like on, let's say, a Honda product, the alternator light pops on. Right. You get it checked, and it's a bad alternator. Well, a Honda alternator 
is going to be probably about three hundred fifty to four hundred dollars. Sure, you can get an aftermarket rebuilt alternator for, for about eighty a- or ninety bucks. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you from painful, painful experience, you can put that new aftermarket unit in there, and the lights going to still be flickering. It's going to come on, and your battery's still going to be. Go- they just don't work. And the thing about it, some of those vehicles, the alternators underneath the engine. Three and a half, four hours exactly. labor just to get to it. Exactly. So by the time you change this thing two or three times, even if you do it yourself, right, you're you, not you spent a whole day trying to get it done. That's right. You are certainly not dollars ahead. Another example might be like on a Toyota 4.7 starter, where mm-hmm. the starter's under the intake mount. Right. That's a big job to get to. The aftermarket stuff is not very good. You know, it just pays you to spend more money. It's like we always say, you know, sometimes the cheapest way out is the more expensive way in. Exactly. Sometimes you just have to weigh all of the costs or as many costs as you can. You know, that's one thing that purchasing agents are very, very good at in the industries around the Baton Rouge area. We have a lot of petrochemical industries and all here, and most of them employ purchasing agents. Right. And what their job is, when they're buying this $5 million gas compressor, they look at not the price of the unit. They look at the overall cost. Okay, how hard is this one to install? How hard is this one to install? What are the energy consumption costs on both? What's the longevity on both? Is this one designed with bearings or bushings? They look at all that stuff. Sure. They go through the blueprints. They and they may end up paying ten million dollars for one instead of five because they realize overall it's a lot less expensive for them to do that. Sure, it's going to last and it's going to operate like it's supposed to for thirty, forty years, right. where the other one would only last about ten. And if this thing goes down, it may be ten thousand dollars an hour. For every hour, it's down. <laughs> that's it. They don't take kindly to things just going down in a chemical plant, right. I can tell you. That's right. Now, All that stuff is scheduled maintenance down in, in times like that. When they have a get the an outage. phrase right, mm-hmm. an unscheduled down, That's right. it costs. Oh, it costs big money. Big, big time. And money is almost no object to those guys. They'll hotshot stuff in here and oh, yeah. send couriers after it and all that just because it costs so much to be down. And so they realize spending more up front is way cheaper. And that is the mentality that not too many people aren't trained in that reasoning exactly. have. In other words, they think the price is the big thing. Price is not always a big thing. It's cost that's the big thing. And, and you can take that through your life. You can you take know, not, everything in your life exactly. and be far, far better as an overall result. Let's go to our phone lines with Todd. Good morning, Todd. Hey, appreciate the show, fellas. Thank, Thank you. you. I have a O2 F250. Mm-hmm. The gear shift lever on the column yeah. is getting a little sloppy. Very uh-huh. common. Very common. In uh, I can tighten that up. Nope. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a, it's a, that, but nope. It's a bunch of worn parts down inside the column. And you, you got to drop the column down and the shift tube, the bushings have come out the shift tube. But do yourself a favor. Go ahead and buy the bushings, the shift tube, the inner tube. And it takes about, it takes me, I've done four, five, six of them. It takes mm-hmm. me about an hour to do them. Okay. You got to drop the column down. You got to take all that stuff apart. You got to change some pieces over. And I mean, it's not a big deal for a do-it-yourfer if you got the tools to get in there and do it. There's some and torque you know bits, what you're doing. Look, right? Right. But yeah, it wears right. out internally. That's a very common failure. And fortunately, Ford has not discontinued any of that stuff. I had one coming the other day, an eighty model. Yeah. And uh, was still able to get the parts for it because it's, it's such a high failure item that they keep a lot of the parts for it. Most time in in stock at the dealership. Okay, it's a specialty tools or just it's a there are some some Torx bits and stuff like that, and right. on, you don't have to take yeah. the airbag. Uh, no, you don't even have to take the. You just got to take the cover off the steering column. Okay, you can leave the steering wheel on, the airbag on. Okay, take the kick panel out from under the steering column and drop the column down. And when you drop the column down, you can see it all the way through. You have to reach in the back and pop the gear shift cable off the lever, 
And before you drop the column down, there is a cable that runs from the Prindle, the park neutral drive arm. Okay. It runs okay. down and it runs and it hooks into the bottom of that. Be very, 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 very careful with it. <laughs> a lot of times the little adjustment breaks, and the only way to get that adjustment is to get the cable. And the cable comes with the new Prindle, so you have to take the instrument cluster out yeah. to get it all changed over. And it, it, it turns into a big job if you don't make that, that quite little step right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and of course, you, but you can bring it into a shop. They can. Yeah. Do, it's not a hugely expensive job to have done. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the labor hour, maybe you know, uh, hour or two, just and uh, the parts. They're, they're not terribly expensive. No, there's a lot of them, and they're probably in the thirty-four dollar range each. But it's, I mean, okay. I would say three, four hundred dollar range somewhere. I just have to see what parts are worn out and all. I mean, less than five hundred, I would say for sure. Now, the, okay. the bad thing is if this thing keeps going, it's going to break, and when it does, you're going to be stranded because yeah. it ain't going to shift. It's going to lock up right. the water gears. And... All righty. All righty? <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, All right. man, thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, got to take one last quick little break. We'll be back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to ADCO for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. we still got a few minutes. Go ahead and get your call on in. And should you happen to think of something after they give us the boot this morning or maybe next week at midnight, you can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And, you know, one of the questions that I get a lot on email, which ties in kind of with the brake issue that we're talking about today, kind of uh-huh. off and on, is people will – there's a section there about diagnosing a low brake pedal. Okay. And I do touch on this in that article, but what we have come to find out since I've written that article – a pretty common failure is where you put your foot on the brake pedal and just kind of slowly sinks all the way down. Right. And that used to be automatically, everybody would say, well, the stone is bypassing. Right, because of the way it worked. That was pretty much an automatic given, and most yeah. people wouldn't even question it further. They'd just go change the mouse cylinder. And fortunately, most of the time, that would fix the problem. Sure. But what we're seeing on a lot of the newer cars, particularly on a lot of the Ford products we've run across this, mm-hmm. not to say it's a Ford problem because it could happen on any car, but what we have found is that the ABS units are starting to bypass internally. Correct. 
and it feels exactly like a master cylinder. The same symptom. With the one important exception that once you spend 200 bucks for that master cylinder, spend three hours putting it on and bleed it out, you still got the same exact problem. <laughs> exactly. And not only did you waste your money on that, you did not fix the original problem. The way to diagnose that problem now is to disconnect. You have to open the hydraulic side of the, the master. Disconnect the lines from it and plug the lines off. You know, plug the master off. Mm-hmm. When you hit the pedal, if it's high rock hard at the top, then you can forget about the master. The master's right. good. You have to isolate it from the system. And unfortunately, that is much easier said than done. Definitely. On some vehicles, you can't even see the lines going to the master because it's back underneath the dashboard somewhere. Well, that, and they've got so many different combinations of threads and fittings. Right. We've got a selection that we've accumulated over the years, probably a couple of hundred different plugs. And still don't have them all. And still don't have them all. We have to make them sometimes to block that master cylinder off. But without doing that, there is no way to know which is causing the problem. Right. Unless you just change both. Now, unfortunately, those ABS units can be upwards of twelve to fifteen hundred dollars pretty exactly. easily and, and not an easy job to replace. And just for a guess, it's definitely not worth the price. Well, it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier, the overall lowest cost. You know, there was a time, well, I'll just throw a mouse on and see what happens. Uh-huh. Well, that's when mouse cylinders cost sixty dollars and took Didn't five take- minutes to change exactly. and had a ninety percent chance of fixing the problem. Well, now it's got maybe a 45 to 50% chance of fixing the problem. It costs two to $300 for the part, and it may take a few hours to change it. Sure. So the risk have just risen dramatically. But I know we have encountered that a number of times, mm-hmm. it seems like, recently, where we go in, and it could be either one, and it just seems like more and more and more I see where it ends up being the ABS unit it and does. not the master cylinder for whatever reason the fluid gets dirty or there's trash gets hung in it or just an internal failure in the unit itself just fails right doesn't seat any longer whatever it might be and like i say it will feel exactly the same as the old bypassing master i have seen it fool a lot of technicians oh absolutely you know back at one time the old chevy pickup trucks i say old back 80 was it 88 to 90? 88 to 98, maybe? 98, that's yeah, it. Before the, Silverado Series. Right. They had the, the two-wheel. They called it two-wheel. Two-wall, yeah. And it was a Kelsey Hayes unit. It looked kind of like a little torpedo down under the master cylinder, a little right. valve. And little, later on, it had two little solenoids on it. Well, the first yep. one was just like a little round tube. Yep. Later, they came out with little two solenoid ones. And those were notorious for doing that. Oh, yeah. And they even came out with a little hole in the end of the torpedo one where you could stick a tube or something in there to feel the piston see if it moves. push the pedal and you could feel it moving which right. was real handy because that could diagnose the problem for you pretty easily the later model ones they eliminated that feature unfortunately and on the ford units there's just absolutely no way to get into it it's no. a big sealed unit with solenoids and all that sort of thing different lines and it has eight different lines on it i think some of them do yeah probably two an inlet and outlet for every wheel yeah so, yeah, eight lines and at least four to eight solenoids on it. So it's a very expensive part. Now, and fortunately, you can buy just the hydraulic side of it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy the hydraulic the and the electrical side of right. it. Right. You can buy them separately well, at you, this point. You have an electrical part, which are all the magnets and stuff that open and close the valves. Right. You have the hydraulic part, which they is, usually call the modulator, which is the valves and stuff. Then there's also an electronic part. Which, which controls the, the electrical part. Yeah, right, that's the, the brain of it. So there's at least three different components. Now, if you get to a Toyota with something like that, that is a obscenely expensive part. Oh, yeah. I want to say that's them. about three to $4,000 part. And fortunately, they do not go out very often. But when they do. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are a major, major expense to replace. And you just 
cannot possibly guess at something like that when when you got three G's on the line. Yeah, it's, you got to yeah. get some diagnosis. Going. You have got to get the proper guy diagnosing this thing, not some flat rate tech who's going to say, "Oh yeah, well, let's change the whole thing." Yeah, before he even opens the hood. Yeah, we know that's going to fix it. <laughs> you know, I remember years ago we had a Cadillac come in, and lady had an ABS problem, ABS code on, and she uh-huh. had taken it to the Cadillac dealership, and they told her it was going to be. I don't know, $2,500, $2,700 changed the ABS control unit. And her husband told her, no, take it to Lewis, let him check it. Mm-hmm. So when she came in, she says, well, do you charge for diagnosis? Absolutely. We charge for everything we do. Yes, ma'am. The only difference in us and everybody else is we're honest with you up front. We tell you we're going to charge you for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are going to try to hide it in the price and all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't want to pay. I've already had it checked. I know what it is. I said, well, no, you just have an opinion of what it is. Right. You don't know. Well, I'm not going to pay you to check it when I already know. I said, okay, that's fine, ma'am. I my, right. my, well, my husband says I have to come here. I said, well, no, you don't have to come here. I would like you to come here. I would like to be able to try to help you. And long story short, she agreed to go ahead and allow us to check the car. Right. Took us about an hour, which was, I don't know, at that time, maybe $100 to diagnose the problem. However, what we found was it was a relay inside the ABS unit, which was $12. Exactly. So for 112 bucks, she, she had was it fixed. fixed. And, of course, I was a hero at that point. Now, had I checked it and it came out to be the same thing she thought it was originally, I would have been a thug. Yeah, well. <laughs> same exact thing. But the point is you can't just assume that the information you have is, is correct, correct because many times it is not. Right. And we get that call all the time. How much is it to do such and such and such? Well, how do you know you need that? Mm-hmm. Well, because I had to check. Okay. But, you know, I can't go by that. Right. I have to verify that that is the problem. Because once we go in and do this expensive repair you're asking for, and you still have the same symptom, now who is at fault? Right. And very seldom are going to say, well, I'd be at fault because I told you to do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> which you, is, yeah. So we do have to verify that the fix we are recommending we'll will fix. correct the problem, even though maybe it doesn't seem like that up front. It is the overall lowest cost. Exactly. And I see we got to get on out here, start winding on up, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and fill out the written review. There you go. Give us a positive review. That'll move us up in the ranking so we can get to more people. There you go. Hey, Pre-City was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great great weekend.